This is episode 767 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. Before I get started, I want to just give a shout out to a couple of the countries that are showing up in the analytics. And I haven't done this in a a while, but I want to give a, a shout out to Canada, my friends up in Canada, my friends in Singapore, in the United Kingdom, Australia, Germany, Trinidad and Tobago. Welcome, guys. I'm glad that you're listening. And also to my friends over in Sweden. I'm glad that you are listening and just wanted to give you all a shout out. Thanks so much uh, that this uh, podcast is not just listened to here in the United States, but all over the world. And so I'm very grateful for that. I hope you had a chance to listen to the last episode, and that was a roundtable with my good friends, Mick Rowland and Brian Hawkins. And we talked about a bunch of different things, right? We, we talked a little bit about what was going on in the world. We talked about homesteading. We talked about food storage and, and, and all of that. I think sometimes we come from different perspectives, um, not trying to, you know, because we're, we're not trying to make a lot of money, you know, in the preparedness community. So it's not all the scare tactic type of stuff that you see when you go to YouTube and those big YouTube channels out there. So, uh, anyway, so hopefully you enjoyed that one. We come, like I said, come at it from a different perspective, but Mick said something, I believe it was in the, in the podcast, in the round table. It could have been in our, uh, our email group meetup that we do every other Tuesday on zoom, I'm not quite sure, but it stuck with me for a whole week and I've been thinking about it actually. So let me share. So he mentioned about like homesteading off grid, you know, going, you know, the end of the world as we know it, people living that way. And uh, he said little house on the prairie type, you know, living. And so a lot of people use different metaphors, but I think a lot of us know what little house on the prairie uh, is at least the the show. Now, a lot of us maybe grew up watching Little House on the Prairie. Maybe we grew up watching some of the uh, the reruns or whatever. Uh, you know, good wholesome type. You know, show that every you know the whole family could watch. But my memory of Little House on the Prairie goes even further back than that. So I have really great memories of Little House on the Prairie because my fifth grade teacher read all the series to us during that fifth grade year. Now, I went to a private school uh, from first through eighth grade. And so uh, my parents wanted me to go to a Christian school and they weren't happy with the schools that were around our area at the time where we were living. And so I really appreciate, you know, being able to go to this school. But when, you know, one of the grade levels that I remember that just stuck with me is fifth grade, Miss Gallmeyer. Uh, she read all the, you know, the Little House on the Prairie uh, books. And so we would usually come in from after recess and kind of sit down and, and we're, you know, cooling off and all that kind of stuff. And she would read. And it's been such a long time since I read those books or listened to them or even watched Little House on the Prairie on, on television. But when Mick brought that up, I was like, you know what? I have some 
uh, credits on Audible. I'm going to go and maybe I, I'm, I'm going to download the book. And so it wasn't very expensive. I think it was like six something, you know, on on uh, on Audible. And I went ahead and downloaded it and started listening to it. So you know how we always appreciate those prepper fiction books, right? The, those dystop- dystopian uh, books that try to incorporate something about survival and preparedness in there. Uh, you know, we I remember reading Patriots by, uh, you know, James Wesley Rawls and uh, people people always remarked about it, like, hey, yeah, you know, it's a it's a story, but you can learn so much about it. And so I, that seems to be like a standard that everybody wants out of those. It's not just like, hey, I just want to read a good story. It's like, you know, I'd like to read a story and learn a little bit about preparedness. Well, as I was listening to Little House, or as it's Little House on in the Big Woods, I think that's book one. I, I I want to say there's like seven books, seven or nine books. I can't remember. But as I was listening to that first chapter, and it wasn't very long, it was only about 18 minutes, and I listened to my books a little bit faster than normal speed, I was very surprised that a lot of the things that were mentioned would fall into that you know preparedness aspect of it, what people would want in those dystopian uh, novels, in our prepper fiction, whatever you want to call them. And I was like, man, you know, people probably aren't talking about this because... Th- a lot of the times the little house on the prairie books are looked at as kids books and i've seen books you know people would always say hey books for kids and survival books for kids and i'm like i would really add that so one of the things like the first chapter of little house in the big woods was all about being prepared for wintertime and the food preparation that went into it so in in one aspect i mean they have the garden and they're putting things up drying things out and putting things up, not necessarily in the, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a cellar, but they're putting it in the attic. Right. So you have, you have that aspect of it. She talked about how they were very secluded from, you know, from the, the rest of the population They were out there in the woods. There was a wagon, uh, trail that went into the woods and then it kind of disappeared and all those different kinds of things. She mentioned that Paul would go, and this is Laura Ingalls Wilder, who's writing this, that Paul would go into, uh, he, he went fishing one day and he came back with tons of fish. And so they, they ate really well. And then they salted a lot of the fish so that they could keep it for the winter time so that they would have food for the winter time. And then they talked about, uh, fattening a pig. I thought it was kind of curious that the pig was, uh, released to, to just eat out in the wild, in the, in the forest. And then when, uh, they were ready to, you know, kind of finish it off and, and fatten it off and everything. Uh, Paul went to go grab it and brought it back into the pen, and then they would feed it and, and fatten it up until it was ready to be slaughtered. And you know, what? Of course, they go through the whole thing about slaughtering it and, and talking about it. Uh, she talked, you know, again, this is from a kid's point of view. How she covered her ears; she didn't want to hear the the pig squeaking. One of the things I remember about being being read this book the very first time is how gross it was to hear that Paul uh, blew the bladder, the pig bladder up for them, and they used it like a ball, like a balloon, and they were playing around with it. And I'm like, man, that's kind of gross, right? But I mean, if you think about it, back in those days, in the 1800s, you didn't have balloons, you didn't have those different kinds of things. So that was like a fun thing that they got to do. 
I also remember uh, the kind of being like grossed out about eating the pig's tail, you know, like they, they roasted the pig's tail on the fire and they ate it and it was like so good to them. And it's like, okay, ooh, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. But they go through how they dip the pig, you know, in boiling water to, to you know, to, to deal with the skin and to, uh, to deal with all of that. Uh, talked about the uh, ma using the head for uh, you know, pig cheese. I think that's what it was called. Um, and all those different kinds of things. So I'm like, man, it's just one of those uh, books that I, I'm probably going to listen to. And maybe I'll listen to like one chapter a week and, and maybe I'll share it or whatever. But I thought that was just something that a lot of people don't talk about. I haven't heard anybody in the preparedness community in all the years that I've been a part of it mention Little House on the Prairie uh, in in all those times. And I think it is because it's a kid's book. We don't really think about it as something that, you know, could tell a good story, but also, uh, you know, give us that aspect of preparedness and how people live. So anyway, I thought uh, something I wanted to share there. And uh, hopefully if uh, you have the books, you can go and dust off the uh the, the the dust off of them and maybe read them to your kids or to your grandkids. Maybe give them to uh, to your kids or grandkids as gifts. Or maybe you just want to, maybe you've read them before. Maybe you want to listen to them again. If you're looking for good, wholesome books, right? I mean, some of the stuff that's out there, even the preparedness community, there's one author that I will not mention. It's like, as, as I was listening to it, it was like, uh, just the words, the curse words after curse words. And I got about five minutes down the road and I'm like, I cannot listen to this. You know, it's like, there's just no reason for it. So I wound up just uh, returning that one and not listening to the series. Everybody was talking about, oh yeah, you got to listen to to this author. And I'm like, no, uh, it's probably something that I don't want to listen to, but good, wholesome uh, entertainment there. If you're, if that's something you're interested in. All right. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your power supply needs. And this is one thing that I think that it's a really big deal as we are getting into these curious times that we're in. Uh, we're, we're seeing power uh, substations be attacked, right? There was one that was in the news, but then you find out that it's happened more than that. One of the things that's happening as I'm recording this is we're going to get a real cold snap here in in Houston. And so I know that means that all of you up north are getting it even worse. But everyone, when it gets cold and we have a couple of hard days of freeze, you know, hard freezes, people start thinking back to Winter Storm Uri and they're like, uh, you know, we don't want to repeat that. So I saw on the news this morning when I was kind of like just flipping channels for a little bit, uh, someone had, or one of the news channels was saying, oh no, you know, uh, ERCOT has said that there's more than enough power to go ahead and, and meet the, the needs of this cold snap and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is do we, do we trust that, you know, do we trust that? And, um, as our infrastructure gets older, that's going to be another factor. You don't really hear about our power lines being taken care of and, and we have all these different things. And so what about our power needs when we get into a situation like that? Yeah, maybe an EMP, CME, um, you know, we, we lose the, the grid to, you know, because of terrorism or whatever. May, what if it's just rolling blackouts and we, you know, we're out of power for a few hours and it's, it's very inconvenient, but that could possibly, um, get you to think about what you need to do to have some power, power backups in your preps. 
So I wanted to talk a little bit about that, and I wanted to come at it from an article that I read in survivalblog.com. The article is entitled Estimating Your Off-Grid Power Needs by Miss Alaska. And so uh, I'm approaching it from this way because this author of of this uh, blog post lives off-grid. And so they have to take care of their power and they have to make sure that they, um, I guess, you know, the things that they're using, they have enough power to meet those needs. So I want to come at it from that point of view because if you were in a situation where the power went out, you would make sure you, you would need to be, I mean, you're, you're not going to be able to, to plug in your air condition, right? Your home AC, if it's the summertime, you're not, you're not going to be able to plug in a heater if it's just a regular battery backup that you have. And so it really depends. You really need to size your, your, your power depending on the needs that you have and you need to be realistic about it. So be, before I start really diving into that, let's go ahead and read the article and then I'll come back and talk a little bit more about all of that. But again, this comes to us from survivalblog.com. The article is entitled Estimating Your Off-Grid Power Needs. Let's go ahead and start reading. The European Energy Lobbying Group 2000watts.org proposes that 2000 watts is the amount of power that would be available to humans if each one of the 7.9 billion people on the planet had access to the same amount. Their concern is that our power resources are dwindling. Whether you agree or disagree with their assumptions, it is interesting to consider how much power our frequently used appliances require. When I lived in a city, I never thought about this. I just flipped the switches and paid utility bills. However, with so many parts of the country suffering power outages, I imagine that more people are now wondering, if the power goes out, what do I do? What could I run with a generator of this or that size, and how much fuel would that require? Here in remote Alaska, we built our own power supply, so we are alert to power hogs and power sippers that we decided to buy or do without. And since the generator we use as a backup to our solar panels and wind turbine is a Honda 2000 producing 2000 watts, we know how much our various appliances and tools require and which ones we can or cannot use simultaneously without tripping a circuit breaker. A fabulous resource for prudent people adding up their power usage in order to determine an appropriately sized backup generator is Generate Orist. It identifies the power draw of appliances ranging from full house AC units to a nightlight as well as commercial equipment and RV gizmos. It also lists products you can buy to measure the current draw of each appliance in your home. We have one called a kilowatt. Additionally, homeowners will find that many but not all machines list their amps, volts, and watt requirements in a plaque on the back or bottom. So the power hogs in any home are appliances that create heat and move water. And I love that line. That's a pretty significant one there. Uh, Again, the power hogs in any home are appliances that create heat and move water. Therefore, at our off-grid home, we do not have any of the following electric appliances. Oven is 2,150 watts. A stove is 2,100 watts. Dishwasher, 1,500 watts. A clothes dryer, 5,400 watts. Hair dryer, 1,250 watts. A home heater, it's highly variable with a furnace and fans or radiators or in other. And then air condition, again, that's highly variable by BTU size and window or central. So instead, I hand wash dishes, line dry laundry. I love that fresh scent. 
Cook on a propane stove and oven with a manual pilot light ignition. Heat the main cabin with wood and warm the guest cabin with the propane heater. We open and close windows and curtains to impact interior temperatures. And we have an outhouse, not a flushing toilet, so no power draw there. We also lack many gizmos that I think are rather unnecessary, like electric can openers, bread makers, and televisions. A few high wattage power tools are important here because we have found no convenient alternative. Most of these function for short duration and we ensure that we are not max maxing out our power with other demands at the same time. Otherwise, the circuit breaker turns off all power as a safety precaution. For example, we occasionally use the following useful electric tools. A circular saw that's at 1400 watts, a disc sander at 1250 watts, and a shop vacuum at 1,100 watts. A very important power tool we use frequently is a 5-ton log splitter, which draws 1,500 watts. Brian turns on the generator almost every time he uses this, which is an hour per day, or $1 an hour of gasoline, and four days per week in the summer. This is $16 of gasoline, saves his shoulders from hand-splitting 11 cords of dry wood to warm our home and heat our hot tub during our long Alaskan winters. For the kitchen, I bought my first new appliance in over a decade, a small air fryer. I love it, but it draws 1,700 watts. So I make favorites like salmon egg rolls or fried chicken as an occasional treat. Note that this appliance replaces the need to fly out cans of Crisco for deep frying at $50 a pound for transportation costs, and then figuring out what to do with the leftover oil. My husband bought a microwave oven as a backup in case our propane oven suddenly died. I hardly ever use it, but others may routinely use theirs. This small one draws 1,050 watts. The powerful meat grinder that we use when we process bear and rabbit meat draws 575 watts. Other appliances, a blender food processor is 450 watts, and a coffee spice grinder 150 watts. Many kitchen tasks I do by hand with a mortar and pestle, a nut crusher, a food mill, and kneading bread dough. Moving water from our well to the house, washing machine, and yard hoses requires 1,500 watts. So we tend to time water projects for sunny or windy days or when the generator is on. Our on-demand water heaters for the sink and shower are powered by propane with electric ignition. For a household to figure out how powerful a generator is needed to power its priorities, it is important to know that running time, wattages can be magnitudes lower than surge or startup requirements. Some of the following might be priorities for a house impacted by a power outage in a hot climate, thus requiring a powerful generator. So here's some appliances. So I'm going to read some appliances, the running wattage, and then also the surge or the startup wattage. So first up is the chest freezer. And that running wattage is 500 and the surge is 1500. All right. So I will tell you that can change depending on the more energy efficient um, uh, freezers that you have. So I have a freezer that does not require that, does not have that surge and does not require, does not have that running wattage. Um, a central AC at 24,000 BTU. So the running wattage is 3,800 and the surge is 11,400. And then there's a lot of exclamation points there. So that one right there is like if you live in, for instance, Houston, and you're trying to replicate 
your life, your home in an, in an off-grid situation that like you would in a grid situation, you are needing like a lot of power. And it more than likely, you're not going to be able to store that up. And you know, I mean, not more than likely, you're not going to be able to store that up enough to in, in a battery bank, much less if you're using like uh, gas or Generac, you're really going to blow through that. And it's going to be very expensive. And I'll get to that here in a minute. So electric washer or electric water heater, 4,000 running watts. It doesn't have the surge on that one. A ceiling fan is 60 running watts. Uh, a garage door opener is 875 running watts. And then the surge is 2,350. So I have not added up all of our routine power uses, by, but they are modest. Two laptop computers, a cell phone, and the freezers in summer. Is it at or under 2,000 watts? I think maybe, except when we use the washing machine. One day, we water the gardens for several hours at 1,500 watts. Another day, we briefly cut three minutes. We, we briefly cut and sand, so three minutes uh, there, and then uh, sand wood is 10 minutes. To replace planks and steps or on the dock, 12, 1,250 watts and 1,400 watts each. A third day, I cook egg rolls in the air fryer for eight minutes. On a sunny or windy day, we with little else on, I run a high-value load of wash, 1,250 watts, but with a high surge and moving water from the pump. Within these parameters, we live a low-cost, low-power life in a lovely setting with low pollution, low stress, gourmet meals, and the satisfaction of tasks well done. Who needs an electric can opener? All right, so uh, that's it for that uh, this article here. And let me go ahead and come back to just sharing some thoughts. And this is where I really want to go with this. A lot of the times, and, and I've already mentioned this, people want to take the life that they live right now. And this is like people living in the suburbs, living in the city, people who have you know got a hold of preparedness. And their idea is, okay, uh, if I am without the grid, I want to replicate my life the way that, that, you know, I'm able to live right now. And the thing is, is that that is an idea that you need to get out of your mind. That is not, is not going to be possible. So going back to that Generac idea, when winter storm Yuri hit last, uh, I want to say last year, but it was, I think it was already two years ago. Um, one of my, my boss at the time, she had a neighbor who had a Generac. And so she, you know, she was without power and it got really, really cold, really fast. And her neighbors came to her and said, Hey, you're welcome to come stay with us. We have, you know, we've got power, we've got heat, it's nice and toasty and uh, come enjoy, you know, the time here living with us. So they, so she went over there and it was just like, it was great. She would go to take care of things in the house and check and make sure that you know pipes weren't busting and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, she lived over there. So after everything kind of settled back down and everybody went back to work, she kept talking about wanting a Generac. You know, I want to get a Generac. I want to get, you know, I'd never want to be in that kind of situation again. Well, she looked into the price of it and it was astronomical. You know, it's not something that, you know, it's just easily done. And if you think about it, you know, that winter storm Yuri, I mean, I've lived in Houston all my life. And in my 50 years, I've never encountered a storm like that. So I know that it's gotten bad before. Uh, even, you know, when I was a kid, like like a baby baby there, I mean, there's there's times where there's been snow down here that was pretty thick. And uh, there's pictures of me like being all bum- bundled up as an infant. But 
I've never experienced, you know, the power outages like that before. And so that that would be very rare. Sometimes we'd have hurricanes, again, very rare, but you might be without power for two or three days. And so that's an inconvenience. Do you really want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars? And I think like when she priced it, she got a quote, it was going to be somewhere like $20,000. So the Generac usually isn't the cost. It's the, the cost of moving the gas and the lines and running all of that and tying it all in. That's where a lot of the cost is. At least that's what I've been told. And so, you know, she looked at that and in my conversation, I'm like, why don't you just get a generator that you can start up and you can use that to power the things that you need? Yeah. You're not going to have all the conveniences of home, but how often do you truly need it? And so I think I talked her out of it. I mean, plus it was a whole lot of money. You know, you don't want to sit there and take a loan out for 15, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 where you're paying a little bit every month for something that you might not ever use, but once every two, three, four years, maybe even more than that. So it's nice if you have the money, if you can write a check for it and you can, you know, throw down a credit card and you can pay for it. Yeah, that's great. But for the most part, that is not reasonable for most people like me and you, right? So, you know, having something like that is not going to happen. So thinking about when, if, if there ever was, you know, zombie apocalypse, whatever, you know, and, and we wind up going through a, a true you know, poop hit the fan situation, more than likely you are not going to live the way that you already live. You're not, you're not going to have that. And so you need to be prepared for that. So your power needs really need to focus on what is necessary, what you need to power. So in my case, for me, what, what I'm doing is I am powering my refrigerator and my freezer. And I want to make sure that I am powering those up long enough so that I can eat everything that is there. And then when, and you know, when it's gone, then I don't have to worry about that. So I want to, I want to be able to power my refrigerator, my freezers. I want to be able to charge my phones and recharge my batteries. If that is, you know, my rechargeable batteries, if that, you know, is, is something that I can do. Everything else after that is, is, is extra in, in my case. So I might have a little fan. Uh, and if I had somebody who was older, um, you know, one of my, you know, like an older parent that was living and like they were in fragile health, I would have to take that into consideration, but they might need to be able to, during the summertime, they might need to be cooled. So uh, a little fan that runs on 12 volts that I can connect to a, a battery bank, that might be something that I might want to consider. But for the most part, you know, that's what I want to do. And, you really need to be thinking about that. So again, we have you know power outages, we have rolling blackouts, we have all those different kinds of things. It's really nice when you have uh, a system like the Jackery, where uh, in you know our, in the exclusive email group, uh, we do have some really technical people and engineers and and uh, people that look at the batteries. And so there are other batteries; they're more expensive that they have uh, you know that they would prefer. I like the Jackery for just regular people <laughs> like me who I can charge up. I know that it's charged up. I know that it stays charged. Um, you know, it has a little button I can push on it to see where it's at. And then I can grab it and I can, uh, you know, throw in a light if I need to throw in a light or I can charge my other batteries or I can 
put my freezer on. And so I actually did that when I got the Jackery. I, I did uh, test out the freezer. I ran the freezer for about six hours and it only went down about 21%. So normally if we were in a true grid down situation, I wouldn't run it that long. I would run it enough to keep it uh, frozen in there to keep things frozen and keep it cool and uh, only open it, you know, minimal times when, when I really needed it. But then I would take that, um, take the Jackery outside and, you know, hopefully you know, I'm praying for, you know, sun and then get the, uh, you know, charge them up with the solar panels. And so I have a couple of different battery banks that I would be rotating out that way to make sure that my freezer stays cold so that I don't lose the thousands of dollars that I have in, in meat and other food in there. Now, I mean, that, that would be really, really important. So you really need to think about your power needs and your, your survival power needs and uh, what is necessary for you and your family uh, in a situation. You know, some people might need an oxygen machine. And in that case, you might need to, uh, you know, to, to spend a little bit more money on uh, a, a bigger battery bank and the ability to to charge those up. I like what Peter Zion says, because, you know, one of the things that we we talk about in the preparedness community is we're always looking for alternative power sources. People will talk about wind. People will talk about solar. And he does mention that those things are very uh, useful, but you have to be in the right location. So this article where they were in Alaska, they have a wind turbine. So it, you, it's for them, they're able to use that. It, it works. Um, solar probably does not work during the winter time for them, you know? And so here in Houston, solar would be really, really good for me, but a wind turbine, I wouldn't want to use that. I don't think it would, it would pay off for me. It's be a, a lot of money that I would spend out that, uh, you know, I would rather, rather put that in solar panels. Um, you know, Mick Roland, good friend, and I've already talked about him. He wrote an article not too long ago. Um, well, actually, when I'm looking at it here, it's 2019 on a DIY battery bank and how you can use it, how you can, you know, use solar panels. And, and a lot of the times, if you're looking at like a Jackery and spending the money for that, Again, if you want the, the, the dice, you know, everything all included and you just plug and play, those are really nice, especially for those that are not very technical. But if you want to make your own, it's not very difficult either, but you can go ahead and, and do it and source it. And he actually, if I remember correctly and remember him talking about it, he ran uh, his refrigerator off of it. And it was one of those, uh, you know, more energy efficient refrigerators and he was able to power it. One of the things I like about like a battery bank or, you know, even like the Jackery is let's just say that I was, and this happened to coworkers of mine, uh, back when we had, uh, uh, one of the hurricanes. And so the, the, uh, my coworker, uh, she was a woman, she, they didn't have power at home. So they had, but they had power. We had power at work you know, when I was on the campus. And so she would bring her curling iron and her blow dryer and all that kind of stuff. And she would get ready there at work. So if you had a Jackery in that kind of situation, you could use it at night and then you can bring it to work and charge it during the day by just connecting it to the AC power at work and then going home and using it at night. And so, you know, you have that uh, ability as well. Um, but, you know, again, you know, you really need to think about your needs. We can't, we're not going to replicate our lives in a grid down, a true grid down situation. We're not going to replicate our lives the way that we're living it right now. So, 
you know, wanting some uh, power for flashlights and batteries and different things like that. Um, and, you know, definitely doing the freezer and uh, the refrigerator so that you don't wind up losing everything that's there. That's going to be really important. Hey, there is a, as, as I'm talking about resources, there is a, a YouTube channel that I found not too long ago called Project Farm. Uh, and this guy does nothing but reviews. And the thing I, I love about it is like, it's like no nonsense, nonsense reviews. Like he just gets right to the matter. And one of the things he was talking about were rechargeable batteries. Um, he had, he had talked about that in the past he had done rechargeable batteries and they were junk and he never really truly used them. But now, uh, the, the batteries that you know, you have nowadays are a lot better. And, uh, so you can go to project farm on YouTube and go check out some of the reviews that he does, but the inner loop batteries are really good. I have a lot of those. Um, and so that I would, you know, I have a way to charge them, you know, through solar, it takes forever to do that, but a way to charge them, you know, through solar, if I wanted to, or, you know, just connect them to a battery bank and be able to, to charge them up that way. So think about your power needs that you have, especially, right now think about like if you were to if, if we were to lose the grid right and we don't always prepare for like you know the apocalypse i know that a lot of you that that listen to the podcast you're like i want to be prepared but i'm not you know i'm not ready for the zombie apocalypse that's not what i'm that's not what i'm into preparedness for i just want to be ready for emergencies so you know you have both views of it and I like to be somewhere in between. Um, so if we have the apocalypse, right, whatever that looks like, whatever, you know, where we lose the grid completely, you know, what are things going to look like uh, for you and, and, and what would happen there? And then if you were just inconvenienced, maybe you lost it because of a blizzard, maybe because of a hurricane, uh, maybe because there were a substation like uh, was attacked and people didn't have uh, power. I think it was like four, four days to a week, if I'm remembering correctly. And so what would it be for, you know, what would it be like for you to be able to encounter something like that? What kind of power are you using? Are you uh, looking at a generator, you know, are you looking at a, uh, a generator that would run on gas and then also propane, a dual fuel generator? Are you just looking to do it with batteries and solar panels? You're looking at something like a Jackery that could, uh, you know, that you can use uh, during the, the evening time and then uh, go, go to work and charge it up. Um, are you just looking for something to power your phones and your tablets and stuff like that? Well, then if that's the case, I mean, something small, small little battery bank would go there. You don't care about the your refrigerator and freezer. And you don't have a lot of food in there that, that you could let that go. I mean, you can look at it that way as well. And so there's a lot of things to consider here. Uh, power is a big deal. I mean, we are used to power. A lot of people would say, in, in you know, it's a convenience. Uh, I would say it's a necessity in, in today's uh, life, day and age that we live in. I mean, of, of course, there are people that live without it. So for them, it's a convenience. But for most people living in America, if, in, in living in, you know, first world countries, power is a necessity. And what would happen if you lost it for a, uh, a short-term uh, or a long-term event? What would it look like? So guys, like always, I'm going to link to this uh, uh, article in the description or in the show notes so you can go check it out uh, over at Survival Blog. Appreciate um, what uh, James Wesley Rawls is always doing over there at Survival Blog. All right, guys, well, that is it for episode 767. If you find this episode valuable, 
I would appreciate a review wherever you listen to the podcast. And I recently had a couple of negative reviews on Apple podcasts and it's, it's, you know, I understand whatever people are going to give negative reviews. It's really hard when you get a negative review to bounce back off of that. So if you haven't given a review, I would appreciate that. And if you aren't subscribed, uh, you know, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And if you would like to support Ready Your Future, you can visit readyyourfuture forward slash support or just check the link in the show notes. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 handpicked preparedness articles that you should read. And I'm also going to send you the Saturday prep every Saturday morning. All right, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.